open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a very exciting guest with us today, Christoph Jensk, right? Yeah, about right. <laughs> my, Ger- my German could uh, use a little improvement. Uh, you're from East Germany, a couple hours south of Berlin, right? Yes, that's right. And uh, you're working on the Internet of Things. Uh, you're involved in the Ethereum project, smart contracts, and you're the CEO and founder of Slock. Yes. Is that correct? Can you give us a little description, like what exactly is Slock? Okay, Slock is a lock that can be opened by paying money. It's a basic idea. And so we have a smart lock, which you can buy now online at Amazon. There's different kinds of smart locks you can buy. We connect this to a Raspberry Pi. And on the Raspberry Pi, we have a Ethereum client running, checking what's going on in the blockchain. And depending on this, you can open and close the lock. And on the blockchain, we do have a smart contract for renting or selling or sharing your lock. So that allows people to make transactions in the Ethereum network to pay a deposit so that they can control the lock, open and close it. And then when they are done using it, they can make a transaction again, get the deposit minus the cost back, and the owner of the lock gets the cost. So that's the basic idea. Yeah, so it's a way to uh, automate the whole payment, escrow, uh security deposit it automates all of this into the contract and then people are able to use it for renting an apartment like airbnb or renting a bike or you can uh, actually even use it with like an electrical outlet so people being able to plug in and use a television or a washer and dryer or things of that nature i mean you can really apply this uh technology to a whole bunch of different use cases yes we can do all the smart home technology devices we support all of them so this is why we can like switch on and off power outlets. So what you said with the washer and dryer, it's a nice example because then people actually don't have to buy a customized washing machine where you can throw coins in like you have in the big stores. The, what's, what's the name in English? The, uh, the big can, department stores like Sears or... Where uh, you can wash your clothes. Yeah. Um, so, oh, but, the laundromats. No, yes, that's what I meant. So, but now you can just have your washing machine in the basement somewhere where all the people in the house can have access to, plug this power outlet to it, with the Raspberry Pi running the Ethereum client. And then they are, the, all, all the people in the house can go there with their mobile and pay like $1 or so to use a washing machine or, or less, whatever you want. So how, how did you get involved in all of this, this new uh, crypto economy? Like, how did you get started in all of this? So my background is in theoretical physics. And I was doing my PhD in Germany. And I was um, writing software for simulations running on GPUs. And was, so you're like, I can mine and make some money. So I, I have available like 88 <laughs> Tesla cards. So I had them all available working with them. I wanted to buy more very cheaply because it doesn't need to be the Tesla cards. Just I want to buy a lot of GPUs very cheaply. So I searched for Google and what's the best thing. And then I came to those mining rigs 
was it like summer 2013 and was wondering what is a GPU mining rig? Never heard of it. <laughs> and I looked at the pictures and I didn't understand what they are trying to do. And then I saw, okay, they're mining Bitcoin. Then I got involved in Bitcoin, learned everything I could about it. Was really fascinated from day one to it. Bought some Bitcoin in summer 2013, which was a good idea. And then I traded a little bit and it really sucked me in. But I was just following all the blogs, reading everything about it and continuing with my PhD. And then reading some blogs, I somehow heard about Ethereum, which is extending this idea of a blockchain to having some logic, computer logic on the blockchain. Yeah, because you got a much more flexible scripting yes. language in Ethereum than you do in Bitcoin by design. Yes, by design. This is the purpose is we have the Ethereum virtual machine, which when we have a Turing complete language, almost Turing complete, because we have, yeah, the only constraint is how much computation can be done. And this is what we have now is a smart contract, which can be written very easily in something called Solidity. It's a programming language, which is like JavaScript. So if you can write JavaScript code, you will be writing Solidity code very easily. And so the programmer can very easily write this smart contract, which I just described. It's just a couple of lines. Put this into the blockchain. And every time a transaction goes to this account where this code is attached, this code runs. And this code can execute some transactions, checking some conditions and things like this. So that's what basic idea of Ethereum is. To have blockchain technology combined with a programming language, which is too incomplete. So you can put logic to the accounts, not only money transfer. Now, a lot of people kind of, you know, Ethereum is a uh, vaporware. You no, know, it <laughs> it's true cloud computing, right? And, uh, but last night at the New York Bit Devs, where uh, you know I watched your presentation, you were actually using the Ethereum testnet, and you got your lock to both open and close from instructions from your uh, your mobile device. So I mean, we've actually got some working implementation here. It's really working, and this, there all the people asking why us is we delaying it and stuff like this. But we really want to make sure it's absolutely secure. And it's really complicated. And my task at Ethereum, so I'm working for Ethereum since September 2014. And my task there is to write tests, which ensure that all clients have consensus with each other. Because we have not only one client, we have a C++ client, a Go client, a Python client. And from the community, we have a JavaScript client, Java client, and Haskell client. So a lot of different clients, which are clean room implementations of the same protocol. And I just write tests, which they all can use, written in JSON, and to ensure they do all the same thing with the same kind of transactions. So we are working on this now since we started in 2013, in December, but this, but I came in September 2014 and making this really secure. Now we have an external security audit going on and they found some issues. Some were severe issues, some were really just enhancements, I would say. And we have a list you can check on GitHub. If you're on GitHub on Ethereum, there's a Go Ethereum client, which will be the first release client. That's the one which is audited right now. And there you can have the issue list. If you go to milestones and put in Frontier, which is the first release, you see the issue list, which needs to be fixed before release. Now it's only one or two left. So we yeah, really, you were showing me that. I was like, yeah, okay, to, where is Ethereum at? And you're yeah, like, so we oh, are, we only have one major almost issue Almost there. Like, <laughs> if, if all this bug is fixed, I think if you don't have any problems in one or two weeks after this when this code doesn't does need to be attached. I, but I'm not the one who is deciding this, but I expect it to yeah, the release to be pretty soon. So we will see. 
At least this summer, I am very sure. <laughs> we hope so, right? But the testnet is working right now. So we have to test it, but there's test ether, which is worth nothing. We have millions of test ether there. Everyone yeah. can have some. But today you can deploy your smart contract and do all the things you would do with a real net because there's really no difference. Only the ether is worth nothing. It's just test ether. That's what I used for the presentation. So, you know, switching gears a little bit, you were working on your PhD in theoretical physics. Yes. What specific topic were you uh, were you researching? I was in polymer physics, so just like material design and research. But I was more into um, writing an implementation of something called Mon Monte Carlo simulation. Okay. Yeah. Which is right now the most physicists use molecular dynamics. And I was writing something code for something different, which is about 100 times faster, but giving similar results. So that's what I was doing. And I was using GPUs for this. Okay. Yeah, so there's uh, there's all types of fun things we can do with, uh, <laughs> with, with our math and science skills. Why did you decide to study physics, like of all topics? First of all... Like, I, I mean, you want to understand the nature of the universe? Was it just yes. uh, something that could get a good job? I mean... First, I wanted to study medicine because I wanted to do something good. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I didn't get into it. My grades were too bad at school. <laughs> I was not so... I was a little bit lazy. <laughs> So, and then physics, you didn't need to have good grades because not many people want to study physics. So it just got into really easy. But <laughs> and it's I, really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard, but it's still, I, I was good in math and physics. I, lo I loved all the stuff. I just didn't want to study anything too specific, like engineering, one little part. I still wanted to keep my mind open and broad. And I still think this is what keeps me alive also today with like Bitcoin and Ethereum to not be fixed on a single topic and be open-minded and being able to switch very fast. Because in physics, you touch everything a little bit. You don't go into how to build a car. I don't know how to build a car. I know how an engine works, more or less, but I couldn't build an engine. So I'm not an engineer. So, but this is like what I love about physics. They have this broad view, look about the whole world, about all the engineering stuff. And then when I heard about Bitcoin, I was just so fascinated about the theory behind it and what it could do. I just try to have this vision about the future. And then this just got me. Yeah, I mean, I find it very fascinating. So many of our lead, some of our brightest minds have all, you know, that not only have they been interested in physics, but they've also been interested in money. And, you know, it starts all the way with Copernicus, heliocentric theory. He wrote a treatise on interest rates. Then we had Galileo. Then we had Isaac Newton, who developed the gold standard. He did a couple things in physics also. Uh, then we had Johann uh, van Gutha. Van, well, you probably can pronounce uh, that one right. Van Gutha? Yeah, Gutha. Yeah. So he did all types of things in uh, botany and optics. But in addition, you know, wrote in Faust Part 2 all about the oh, negative Gute, effects. Yeah, Gutha. Okay. All the negative effects <laughs> of uh, increasing the money supply. You know, the Mephistopheles told the king, he's like, I'll fetch you some gold and some more, you know, and it eventually devolves into the judiciary making things not quite right, right. And, uh, and then the, the commander in chief saying, you know, the soldier asks not from whence it proceeds. So, you know, being able to inflate the money supply eventually devolving into martial law, which, you know, Greece is kind of having some, uh, some turmoil right now. And then, I mean, even in today's day and age, we have uh, Ryan X. Charles at BitPay. He left his PhD in physics to work on Bitcoin stuff. We have Alan Reiner, 
who was developing artificial intelligence for missile defense, left that to work on the armory client with Bitcoin. We have a lot of, a lot of, you know, very talented uh, scientists that are, you know, tinkering around in this new field of monetary science applied to the cryptography. Do you think that we're going to see kind of a, a new paradigm for the way we view the universe that comes out of these cryptographically provable blockchains. I wouldn't say how they view the universe because it really has not too much to do with physics, really, but about the inter- interaction between humans to remove all the centralized institutions. And just also physicists sometimes, or not always sometimes, they love freedom. They love basic principles and having some things easy. We love simple laws. Now things got complicated and centralized institutions doing all the stuff. But actually, people think Bitcoin is complicated, but actually it isn't. And Ethereum is also not that complicated. If you get into it, you don't need to understand all the details, of course. But this basic concept of this decentralized network, if people get this idea, it empowers them. It is still simple for what it can achieve. So I think mathematicians and physicists love how very simple ideas have a lot of power. And you can base great stuff on top of it. And that's what, yeah, what we want to do. And sometimes we, we have some time at work to, to read <laughs> articles and blogs. <laughs> and so keeping our mind open and see what's going on in the world and where things are moving. Yeah. Cause I mean, this whole concept of uh, distributed consensus, you know, we, yeah. we have a lot, we're, we're able to all agree on the current state of something. Yes. Which, you know, getting into the philosophy of just the way we view the universe. I mean, we have Newtonian physics, but then we had Einstein's theory of relativity. But even out of Einstein's theory of relativity, like we have non-local particles that seem to move faster than the speed of light. And so when we start getting into the quantum mechanics and quantum theory, we've also got this principle where the observer can actually impact the observation. Yeah. Right. It's a double split experiment. Yeah. And so, you know, out of Dr. Bohm's work, who was at Princeton with, with Einstein, uh, where he proposed this concept of a holographic universe. And then Dr. Prebrom, who is a neuro, a neuroscientist who, you know, kind of advanced this theory that it was, it's through the mind that we focus and organize what we currently view as the universe. Uh, how how do you think we can apply these blockchain technologies to all of that? I mean, if the universe and everything we see is really just thought patterns laid down that have been focused through the mind that organize this holographic universe, if we're laying down now new thought patterns that are enshrined in cryptographically provable code, then like we have a whole new way of not just constructing, but remembering the universe you know, because we've now got this cryptographically provable past as opposed to a very ephemeral past that we currently have. Have you done much research or study on that, that topic? No, that's more like a philo- philosophic point of view, like how we could see this in the blockchain. But for me, the only thing I can get from this is this like past from, from the day one in the blockchain to now that you can see exactly what is happening. So all the hashes and you could also have some other databases which just are some some state routes of some Merkel Patricia trees. And you can just have them in the blockchain just to have a secure, some points in the blockchain, which are very secure. And you can see and prove 
that there is no fraud going on and some lettering accounts or whatever. So it, it just gives the whole world access to a database, which has not been there before, to like their database. With, with immutable persistence, where you can't yes. just go back and erase anything in the database. Exactly. This is what a blockchain really gives. This is empowers single person. And of course, developers, because they can build on top of it. Like I was mentioned, but you speak both about Slack in the beginning. Like one thing I heard, I heard is, for example, Airbnb has this strong networking effect, and any matchmaking website has no chance because there are only like a couple of fraction of percent of apartments there compared to Airbnb. But if you think if of the blockchain, if all the apartments would be on the blockchain using this log, and you have this data available, you could have thousands of matchmaking websites which all have all the data available because they just search through the blockchain for the apartments or for the bike logs or whatever, and then they're trying to make some matches. So they can have a shared database, which is not only one company having all the data, and this is what they make money with, with actually. Right, but, and the network effects and the, the moat that they have around yes. other people not being able to get access to that yeah, database. To that data, exactly. But if this data is on the blockchain, then this power went away and all the developers can build those nice apps. Like I'm here at this location. Can you search through the blockchain if there's some slog around, which I can open or not? And there are many apps and developers could, could have different services on top of it. That's the nice thing about a blockchain that we share data and don't make money with it in a centralized way. So that's a kind of also a philosophic point of view to see it like this to share all our data or the important data, not all of our data on the blockchain and have it all together. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating how the natural philosophers like Newton, not, not only were they scientists in the sense that, you know, trying to have these objective experiments, but also very philosophical at the root of how they're viewing the world <laughs> and, and even stirring up trouble for the establishment, whether it's Copernicus, who, you know, was scared to publish his his findings or Galileo, who suffered house arrest. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're a pro Copernicus society. You know, we're a pro Isaac Newton society. We're a pro math and science society. And it's very interesting how we see where where this is going we're seeing that governments are are basically going to have to engage in a war on math right because yes. as you're talking about it like it's now this decentralized distributed protocol or network that is facilitating all of the economic activity between individuals themselves i mean there're no longer these central points that you can go and like cut off the funding to wikileaks to stop yep. you know speech, political speech that you don't necessarily like. I mean, how how is Slock or Ethereum like, how are you guys going to kind of navigate these new uncharted waters? We will just let it come. <laughs> like there are no laws really to, to cover up all those things, but really we don't need governments and stuff like this for doing this. Like we are saying I'm saying about this, we're building a technology. And technology is politically it just doesn't care. And it should not care about what's happening. It's just freedom. You can do what, like Linux, for example, there is no law forbidding you to do something with this computer and therefore they go to the Linux developers who enabled this crime. No, they just gave us the technology or a browser. You can do whatever you want with a browser 
but you cannot go to the developers of the browsers and charge them for some crime because some users did something. And that's how I see this as blockchain technology. We just build a very basic technology which enables people to do good and bad things, of course. And I hope they will use it for more good things than bad things. But we will see how the government will react to this. Because if you really look in the long term, all this is like we speak about globalization and international things. There are no borders for blockchain technology. And now with smart contracts, you can do like many, many crazy stuff where all the work, where you don't need regulation and with countries where, the, where you have what's called like when the US says you cannot make trade with this country. Oh, a sanction? Yeah. With smart contracts, there are no sanctions. So this is also dangerous in a, in a way, but I think the government should now try to think about how to deal with it, that they will lose control in a sense. Well, isn't the way to deal with it just to put the Galileos under house arrest? Isn't it to, uh, you know, drive the Gutenberg presses but uh, sometimes from the, from the, ca- you the can, counties? You can avoid it. Then the other one will do it. Like with, with blockchain technology, we are at a point right now that it's working. So even if we would arrest all the Ethereum developers, it can still make it to the to release and it's it's working. When the release is done, actually, we were building tools around it and supporting it and so on, but you don't need us, actually. So arresting us wouldn't help and blockchain and Ethereum blockchain would still grow and people would able, yeah, be and, able and to use Bitcoin it. And the Bitcoin blockchain and the Litecoin and exactly. the Namecoin, like... I mean, when you look at the actual architecture of the internet, it's highly decentralized except for the 13 domain name servers, you know, the root servers. But even that part of the internet can be decentralized. Absolutely. With Namecoin, for example. For example, Namecoin, or we have also a smart contact for that in Ethereum that we have, that you can have a name attached to your address, for example. We will have an auction system where you give out, where you can buy names or not. Like you can register a name and if someone else wants to, there's like an auction system going on. We now can do this with a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain, giving out names. And Gavin Wood really got me with, he's our core developer for the C++ client. client, And he wrote an article, summer 2014. He wrote this article about the Web 3.0. He was calling this technology the Web 3.0, what we are building. And blockchain is only one part of it. For example, Bitcoin or Ethereum blockchain. But we also have a Whisper protocol, which is a decentralized messaging system. We will have a Swarm protocol, which is like a decentralized file system, similar to IPFS, another one, where we're just trying to decentralize everything. And this is for me the Web 3.0. And this article he wrote there was really what got me into Ethereum. I think this is really the future. And Bitcoin was just the beginning. And that in a couple of years, we will have all those decentralized services. We will see what will happen to the world with it and how it will enable people to interact with each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you followed the MateSafe project yes, much, I but I mean, them. you got like their UDP routing that they've already done testing and they've uh, got a lot of stuff into Rust and Crust and like yep. really uh, distilled down and boiled away a lot of the excess code. And, uh, you know, the, so the MateSafe network is moving along, the Ethereum network, the Bitcoin network, the Within Bitcoin, we've got like side chains and the Lightning Network, which will be able to provide just massive, massive amounts of scalability. Because, I mean, we're ultimately going to be talking about having billions of devices in this Internet of Things, yes. right? And hopefully, you know, all of them will be able to be running on these smart contracts and be able to uh, sell their their services or their sensors or their data or all this type of stuff, right? Yeah. So scalability is a big issue. So we have 
some kind of solutions for it, for it. But I also think there will be many blockchains. There will be private blockchains, in-company blockchains, which only stores some very some rare transactions on the Bitcoin or Ethereum blockchain. You'll have a systems of blockchains which need to work together for important data, not so important data, very important transaction, less important transaction, and all of this. Um, but it's a point of research we are still doing. You know, Vitalik Buterin, our chief scientist, I would say, is working a lot on scalability. So there's been a lot of debate. Well, there's been a lot of yelling about the uh, Bitcoin block size increase. Yeah. Uh, it's currently limited by the protocol to one megabyte. Uh, Gavin Andreessen and Mike Hearn have both threatened to do a contentious hard fork to uh, an eight or even 20 megabyte block limit. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Like, you want to talk a little bit on yes. that issue? I'm totally against increasing the block size because this is not the purpose of Bitcoin. Like, if you want to just adapt to whatever different needs there are, I think Bitcoin should be like the gold standard of the blockchains. This is what it is for. And only the most important transactions will make it in there. We have the transactions fees securing exactly this. Like, the current scalability solution are the transaction fees. But only important transactions make it in there. And if it's less important things, you do it on another blockchain. Or maybe... Or an extension block that Whatever. like Dr. Back has suggested or the Lightning Network or I mean, yeah. there's the payment protocol or payment channels. I mean, there are lots of different ways that you can, you don't need to put every little Satoshi Dice transaction into the blockchain is what you're saying. Yeah, that's kind of consensus is very something very precious and expensive. Worldwide consensus on one thing. And that's what a Bitcoin blockchain, for example, does. And therefore, this should be expensive to make a transaction. And this is why I think leave it as is. This is like first real blockchain, the first working blockchain. I would just leave it as is and leave it to others to implement other things. Like for example, Ethereum, we have our vision of smart contracts and of those types of things where we are really good at. And this is what you can do there. And we are working on scalability. And I think you should not increase the block size and just leave it as is. So are you saying that Ethereum's block uh, blockchain will not be as secure as Bitcoin's or currently isn't? Or in, in, If you see how um, the mining power going into it, maybe not in the beginning, but it will be more decentralized as, as Bitcoin is right now because we have, our mining algorithm in the beginning will be proof of work, but it will be GPU-friendly and ASIC-resistant. So we will have the GPU miners getting their GPU out, out again, and they are pretty decentralized compared to the ASIC uh, miners. So I think we will have more decentralization, but not as much hash power as the Bitcoin network has in the beginning. But we will switch to proof of stake at some point. That's what is planned. We don't know how long it will take us to develop all of the stuff we need for this. But that's at least what the plan is. Well, yeah. I think we've had a, a very fun interview. Been chasing all different types of rabbits all over the place. Any parting thoughts? Like, what are what are you most excited about in this in this whole space? I think just let us be open minded and see what comes with this peer to peer disruptive decentralized technology, and don't think things are done and should be like they are now, and just see what it can gives gives to us. Experiment with it. All the developers should just try it out and go ahead, be creative, and see how they can change the world. Create opportunities lay ahead. Yeah, the best way to uh, predict the future is to create it, right? Yes, that's what Ellen <laughs> K said. Yeah, the best way yeah. to, to what's the best way to predict the future is to invent it, yeah. and <laughs> that's what we should do right now. Right, right on your t your t shirt today. Uh, thanks for being with us. We've had uh, Christoph Jensk 
an Ethereum developer, CEO and founder of Slack. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, it a pleasure. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate. Yeah.